Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, and thank you for this opportunity in this country where we can stand up and, and speak of religious freedom freely. Lord, please help us to continue to fight for the right to do that and help us to continue to do that as long as we do have that right. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. American freedom. Um, first of all, I did the... I had a kind of a rough week this week because my daughter's away at college and I had to do my own PowerPoint, so bear with me. Um, American freedom. We've talked about it often and it means different things to different people. And like the video, well, on a part that you didn't see, you know, he starts off by saying, we have this weird concept of it, but what is it? And I think he really encapsulated it quickly and, and in a very good fashion. We have the most unique form of government in the history of the world here in the United States. The problem is we have forgotten who we are and why we're here. We've lost our way. Like, you know, we, we studied the Bible. You, what, what happened to Israel anytime they lost their way is they got in huge trouble. And we're, we're kind of in a course right now where we've really lost our way. We used to treat, teach American history and civics in school. And it, yeah, it was idealized a lot. So we've kind of moved to this new thing where it's only cool to bash American history and to focus on the negative parts of it and focus on what we did wrong. And we did a lot of stuff wrong, yeah. But in between those two points, there's a truth there and a freedom there that we were given. A perfect example of this is, you know, it's a little known fact that in the original drafts of the Declaration of Independence, there were several references to slavery because they knew it was wrong. Although they were practicing it, they knew it was wrong. And our founding fathers mistakenly said, we can't deal with this right now. We'll deal with it later. We gotta, you know, we're already declaring our independence from the most powerful country on the planet. Not dealing with it then and knowing what they were doing was wrong led to the most horrendous war this country's ever faced in the Civil War. So, yeah, there are, there are parts that aren't good, but the fundamental principles of this country are huge. Martin Luther King stood up and grasped his constitutional rights. He, what he said was, hey, look, th these rights that you guys all talk about, you forgot us. And he was right, and we took care of that and are taking care of it. So, I mean, when you look at American history, you gotta take a deep breath and say, while there are some issues, we really do have a great country. We really did start with some brilliant people, and I, and I think the hand of God was there the whole time. Now, a fundamental principle that's part of our religious heritage here in this country is religious freedom. People came to this country because they wanted to be free to worship God because they didn't wanna be part of the Church of England. That's why they came here. And they came here for a marketplace of ideas. Now, another example of how freedom in our country was developed, if you go to Monticello and see Thomas Jefferson's home, he has a Bible there. But Thomas Jefferson's Bible, you'll find, is kind of strange because a whole bunch of parts of it are cut out. Thomas Jefferson got out a pair of scissors and cut out all the parts that he didn't think could be proven by science. Thomas Jefferson was one of the most brilliant minds politically that we've ever had or ever will have. Now, in his position as a founding father, second president of the United States, you know, one of the formers of the Constitution, author of the Independ Declaration of Independence, he could have said, hey, 
Our state religion says that we don't like a Bible that has um, stuff that I don't think can be proven by science. He didn't say that. What Thomas Jefferson said is, that's what I believe. You believe what you want to believe. This is a free country. I want you to all worship God as you see fit. We are not going to bother you with that. That's huge. Now, religious, free, religious liberty allows us to worship God in the way we see fit without government oppression or fear of government oppression. And um, Carol touched on the psalm today. Um, psalm 119.45, I walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. And, you know, I'm glad Carol read the whole section to keep it in context, but the point is you can't walk about in freedom if you're not free to do so. You can't follow God's precepts if you have a government telling you the way to worship God or that you can't worship God. The best form of government allows you to freely worship your God. And the other side of that coin is the best form of government does not endorse a form of worship or tell you how to worship your God. And that's what our Constitution provides us. Now, the past few years, I've gotten up here, and you know, I, I've been giving li religious liberty sermons for almost 20 years now, and I, I would always go to the Constitution and the First Amendment, and some people accuse me of getting boring. And um, so, over the last few years, I've been all over the map. I, I preached about the Patriot Act. That was a good sermon. Um, I preached about um, textbooks and the big issues about how textbooks with religious overtones. Last year, I got lazy, and for the first time, I took the canned sermon from the conference and gave that one on unions. And this year, a while back, a few weeks ago, I had this great idea to do one on the Hanukkah. And Hanukkah was such a great struggle for religious freedom by the Jews. And in contrast that to um, American freedom. Well, that'll probably be your sermon next year. Um, because two weeks ago, a horrible thing happened. Two weeks ago today, a horrible thing happened in Tucson, Arizona. And since then, it has become clear, it should be clear to all of us, how far we have drifted from what we are and who we are and what we stand for. We need to get back to the fundamentals. Now, let's be clear on one point before we talk about anything else about two weeks ago. A lone, crazed, deranged, drug-abusing murderer committed an act of murder. That's what happened. His web postings show that he had a real disdain for God and mocked God. We as Christians could tell you we can understand his problem pretty quick. But our government and our government leaders have completely lost sight of who we are and have jumped on this bandwagon since then. And it's frightening to me that these people are there by virtue of the Constitution. They're represented the United States by constitutional mandate, yet they have no concept of what the Constitution is or means. Now, I, this is not a political discussion at all. Religious freedom is a constitutional discussion. And I have taken the parties designations off of the names of these people who made these comments because it's not about politics. It's about our rights, just like the video said, our rights under religious freedom. Congressman Robert Brady of Pennsylvania 
is promising a bill to outlaw any speech or symbols that could be interpreted as threats to members of Congress, grousing that you can't put bullseyes on or crosshairs on United States congressmen. Now what he's referring to is over the years, both parties have done this. They get out a map and they say, these are the targeted seats that we want to take to the other party. Both parties do this. That is not constitutional, Congressman. Why are you even suggesting that? Well, he's not alone. James Clyburn, South Carolina, wants to rethink the parameters of free speech, including installing standards to ensure balanced media coverage. That's not constitutional, Congressman. Then we have Congresswoman Louise Slaughter, New York, suggests the Federal Communications Commission is not working anymore and promises to look into ways to police, read, censor the airwaves more effectively. That's not constitutional, Congresswoman. And the problem is they don't even realize it's not constitutional. The problem with that is it's a freedom of expression. Our religious liberty is a freedom of expression. It is contained in the Constitution. Our leaders have lost sight of that. Now, the next one I found really startling, and it, it, you know, God just dumped all this stuff on me before the religious liberty sermon, but last week, the governor of Alabama was giving his inaugural, inaugural address. Robert Bentley, anybody here today, great state of Alabama, anybody here today who has not accepted Jesus Christ as their savior, I'm telling you, you're not my brother and you're not my sister. And I want you to be my brother. Now, that is wrong on so many levels. But the, the, the most, you know, the Christian right will jump up and say, wow, good for you. Uh, good for you, governor, standing up for Christ. You don't do it in that forum. That's not the way our system's set up. And to let you know how bad that is, what if old Bob was a uh, Muslim? and we switched Jesus Christ for Muhammad. He would move from a great Christian patriot to a horrible foreign murderer in an instant. We don't, from our pulpits, um, from our pulpits is where we preach the word. We don't do it from the state house. It does not work that way, and it's not how our country was set up. We must allow freedom for all, and the governor of Alabama is the governor of all the people of Alabama, those who believe and don't believe. And in order for him to represent them all, he needs to leave that in his church, in his home. If he wants to be a Christian, act like a Christian. Don't do it like that. Don't tell the people of Alabama, you're not my brother, if you don't believe like I believe. We could imagine what would happen if our, our, our father Jefferson did that. Now, when the country started form being formed, Benjamin Franklin was one of the most brilliant guys. He was like the elder statement, statesman of the crowd. And they started talking about how to shape the Constitution. And of course, there's, a, there's the hardcore law and order guys who said, we need laws to be sure that people don't get out of line for our security. Franklin responded, those who would sacrifice freedom for security deserve neither. And it's true. Isn't that what we're hearing? Because a crazy guy shot some people we're hearing, well, we should give up a lot of our freedoms now. That, that'll make us safer. Or we should go to airports and get strip searched. That'll make us safer. It's all over the map. You don't surrender freedom for security. Our founding fathers didn't do that. 
Now, in the short time we have left, I'm confident that we'll be able to see how we've lost our way. And in order to understand why we have a constitution, we have to go through a quick history lesson in the United States, something it appears that has been lost in Congress. In the 1600s, the pilgrims landed. Why did they come here? They came here because they wanted to worship God freely. They came as Puritans and Quakers and then Lutherans and, and Catholics, and, and they all came here to coexist in their worship of God. And as they did that, they appreciated that each needed religious freedom. There was a church state back in England where there was a Church of England. Now, if you look at this picture, an old depiction, look at how many people are in prayer when they arrive. That's why they came here. It's, it was a founding principle of this country. Now, from that point on, they started establishing the colonies, and they called it New England because they were English. They brought with them English culture, English law. It was a part of England. Over the next hundred years, they remained English. They, they, they had the parliamentary system, which we still have in America. We tweaked it a little bit. They had an incredible court system. That court system is still in place today. We still rely on English common law in the United States. It, it, it formed the basis of our court system. It was a good and fair court system. We, we bash the court system here all the time. It's the most fair system that, that's out there in the world. So over the next 100 years, they remained part of England. They were English. Bunch of people came. We became a great nation of mutts. You know, we all mixed and we became, you know, a little of this, a little of that, but they, their culture remained English. But what happened then? We have to ask ourselves, what happened? What caused the conflict? Well, foundationally, over 100 years have gone by, several generations of people were born here. They started developing an American culture. But the big thing, the big fire point that happened, happened in the 1750s. England's longtime nemesis, France, riled up the Indians and started the French and Indian War in America. And what happened was, America was a great place of natural resources. England, it was important to England. The French wanted to horn in, so the French conned the Indians into joining them and revolting against the English settlers. England had to protect England, so they sent troops. There was a big war, and as usual, France lost. <laughs> now, now, back in England, and, and in the poor Indians, um, it was already bad for the Indians. It didn't get better after that, and the French went home. Um, back in London, Parliament was upset. Parliament said, wait a minute, this war was expensive. Those, those Americans should pay for that war. And the Americans responded, well, wait a minute. You are defending England, your flag, and your natural resources. Why should we bear the tax burden solely for that? So, um, you know, it's kind of interesting, too. I thought I was getting ready for this speech or sermon. Um, the more things change, the more they stay the same. What was the big flashpoint between the United States and England? Exploitation, natural resources, war, and taxes. Boy, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Um, but anyways, the fuse was lit. And what had happened to England was England thought, look, you colonies, you're subjects of England, you do what you're told. 
but England's child, the United States, had grown up. They, they realized that their own identity, and the fuse was lit. Now, Americans pressed for their rights as Englishmen. They, weren't, they never thought at that time in the beginning to be Americans. At that time, they had freedom of speech. England, England in the 18th century had significant freedoms. They had a thing called no prior restraint, meaning we will not restrain speech before you make it. If, you, if it has problems afterwards, you might have to deal with it, but there's no prior restraint. They had freedom of press. They had trial by jury. If you got accused of a crime, you got to be, go, go before a jury. In fact, one of the most famous jury trials that had in the United States in that time, um, John Adams, the third president of the United States, defended English soldiers who shot down civilians in Boston. Now, the story the crowd tried to tell was, we were just minding our own business and, and standing there and these soldiers shot us. Well, what happened was a crowd of very agitated people, probably overserved at the tavern, um, started hurling rocks and shells and, and clubs and everything at soldiers. They finally had to defend themselves. And John Adams stood up in court and defended them. And one of the most great closing arguments ever made that I steal from often, um, he used a phrase over and over, facts are stubborn things. And he, these uh, soldiers were acquitted because of Adams. But that, that was a system we lived in, so it wasn't as if they, they had this horrible system here where it was terrible, but the problem was they had a taste of freedom. And when they had a taste of freedom, they knew how to use it. Now, the big problem that occurred was England had no constitution. There was no limit on, on, their, on their power to make anything, any law that they wanted. So the Americans are always free here to discuss issues and, and discuss them in their, in their various collections and bodies. Well, England came up with this idea. They came up with what's called the Seditious Liable Act. The Seditious Liable Act said, you cannot say anything negatively in press, speech, collection, assembly against a leader of government or a leader of the Church of England, even if it's true. So here in America, we said, what? You know, that, that doesn't make sense. Well, how are we going to discuss things? Well, right away, that created problems here because the Americans were used to in their assemblies, remember that word, in their assemblies, come together and speak about you know, what's going on and, and argue about English oppression and argue about the taxation issues. This is the internet of colonial America. This is a printing press. They were able to print books. One of the greatest books ever printed at the time was a book called Common Sense by Thomas Paine, which was one of the, one of the um, firestones of the uh, revolution. And what happened was they would you know, some poor kid apprentice would stay there all night pressing these things down until they made hundreds of them. They'd pass them out. They would speak freely in their taverns. This country, the, the Constitution and the, the Revolution was really born in, a ta in taverns. And they would come together as these places of meeting and they would discuss, well, the English had spies everywhere and anybody who spoke against the Church of England or against um, England itself, the leaders, would get arrested. Now, the British had simply passed a law in convenience to deal with the problem they thought they had. Now, the Americans also had guns. And because of these guns, they needed them to live in the country they lived in, the frontier. 
they were used to revolt. So the English, first thing they did, they said, okay, you're not allowed to have guns. It's the guns that they had is where the revolution was fought and won. The freedom was purchased with those guns and the blood of the men who carried them. Now, I'm going to skip the war because that's, that's a sermon in itself. They had a war, and again, going to the Bible, it was a Gideon-like victory by the United States. Had no business winning that war. Citizen soldiers against the most powerful military in the world at the time. It, it was an absolute mismatch. You know, you study American history, miraculous victory after miraculous victory, and we won. Now, what did they do? The most brilliant political minds in the history of mankind decided they're going to put together a constitution because they knew what they had just gone through. The problem was an unlimited, power, powerful government. If we limit the powers of government, we give freedom to the people. That was their idea. The United States Constitution is our rule of law. You hear that expression all the time. We live under the rule of law. It's our Constitution that does that. Now, the Bill of Rights is the first ten amendments of the Constitution. They sat down and they said, okay, we have to limit the power of government so we don't have the people go through what we just went through with England. First Amendment. Now, keep in mind what the history we just went over, and now you'll understand more clearly why we have these rights. Congress shall make no law. You can't make laws taking away these rights. The Constitution doesn't give rights. It limits the power of government to take them. Very, very unique, very important. Shall make no law with the establishment of religion. Remember the Church of England that drove all the people here? Remember the, the law that says you can't speak against the Church of England? Or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Meaning, you could worship God as you see fit. Remember Thomas, Thomas Jefferson's his Bible? He didn't say we had to do that. He said, worship God as you see fit. Freedom of speech. Remember that problem? They were in their assemblies. You'll see the last one, peaceably assembled. In their assemblies, they would speak. Freedom of press. All of these things were born of what happened to them. Second Amendment, United States Constitution. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Remember what happened to them. They took their guns away. Now, our religious freedom is born... Look at those guys. I love them. Um, it's Washington in front, Jefferson and Franklin. And these guys really paid a dear price. I mean, all, all the signatures of the Constitution, of the uh, Declaration of Independence, if you study the history of most of them lost everything. They were hounded. They, there was no fire insurance in those days when the British burnt their farms and, and imprisoned them and hounded them. They, they went through hell to get us what we have today. Now, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, we should not be political. We should be constitutionalists. We should stick to our fundamental freedoms. Our fundamental freedoms are that we meet on Sabbath, and the government should not stop us from doing that. We meet on Sabbath, and the government should not tell our kids in our public schools how they should pray or how they should worship. In fact, there is a Los Angeles radio station where they say, I'm sure many of you have heard it, the intersection of faith and reason. Um, that's KKLA. Now, there's a lot of good sermons on there, but there's a show on every afternoon where the guy just harangues on political stuff. Oh, and, and it's not our role to do that. Our role is to be 
free Americans to worship God. You can't pass laws to make people believe in God. You could pass laws to, that, uh, and follow the Constitution that allow us to exchange our ideas freely. In the marketplace of ideas that we're, we created here, the marketplace of ideas, truth will win. The Bible will win. But we can't do it by forcing the Bible or slamming the Ten Commandments on the wall and saying, you must follow these. It doesn't work. You cannot look anywhere in the Bible and show me where Jesus forced himself on anyone. Yet we as a country, as, as a Christian right, not we as a Christian right, but the Christian right, attempts to force it on people. It's not right. It won't work. It's not the way of Jesus. So when we, when we take a deep breath and terrible things happen like happened two weeks ago, we can't just say, okay, we'll fix it by surrendering our rights. Don't do that. Keep hold of our religious freedom. Keep hold of our liberty. Keep hold of our ability to worship God freely as long as we can. We know the day's coming when we won't be able to. But, but let's not have that happen on our watch. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Sabbath day, and thank you for the religious freedom you've given us in this country. Lord, please help us to understand our history, understand our Constitution, understand why we're here. Lord, this is an important issue, and, and for, in order for us to worship you freely, we need the freedom to do so. Please hold the winds back and keep us on the right track. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.